Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Conf T with your SE, recorded Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own, and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco Certified Partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young. Unfortunately, Mr. Boyd could not join us today or during this recording. Uh, in fact, this is actually something that we had recorded back in early December, but with the WebEx One event and the holidays and everything, this kind of got pushed back a little bit. But I did want to get it out for you guys to listen to and uh, get kind of caught up on everything that we're doing in the IoT space. If you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 18, uh, at the end of this episode, I do recommend that you go back and check it out. We went into a bit more of a deeper dive in some of the various IoT technologies that Cisco is uh, playing around in. So definitely recommend you check that out. But yeah, we uh, had a great opportunity to talk with our guest here, Stephen Friedenthal. And without any further ado, let's just jump right into episode 43. All right, we are here with Stephen Friedenthal. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. Great to have you on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we were, we've been talking, uh, shooting the breeze now for over 45 minutes and then thought, <laughs> Hey, you know what? We should probably hit record and <laughs> start talking about things. There was some very good conversations. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to revisit them, but you, sir, are in quarantine now. So you're in an, uh, yes. a nice hotel overlooking Fenway park. <laughs> yeah. Over, I can, I can see the stands, but mainly what I can see is the air conditioning unit, uh, <laughs> above a Marshall's. More than anything else. So, we wait, there's still a marshals around? There's still a marshals. The marshals, there's a target. That's it. And as I was saying, the great thing about the target is I go to Target to get some supplies to quarantine and they have a liquor department. I'm like, oh, I could oh, not have picked God. better. I know, I know. So, you know, I'm not. And you said there's a Wahlburgers across the street too. So you're, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Wahlburgers like instantaneous. So, no, I picked this area because I'm going to quarantine. I want to have like really good Uber Eats available to, to bring food because. <laughs> Ohio is a high risk state by Massachusetts, so I need to stay out, you know, for a period of time until I can test negative, and I need to incubate for a while before I can take a test. And right, right. like I, I told you, when I was in Ohio, which is a great, great place in the middle of farmland, like Uber Eats is like, you know, it's like no <laughs> GPS, like not not for you or the next sixty miles. So I wanted something where I have something available. So this nice. this actually works out really well. Awesome. Well, we're glad you, that you could join us today and uh, chat with us about IoT. Uh, we're actually going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk uh, kind of edge computing, 5G, and IoT. It's been a while since we've discussed these things, and we had uh, an episode a little over a year now where, ago where we were actually in uh, Cisco Impact last year in Vegas, where we went around the stands and talked to a few people in the IoT section, got a little bit of everything there. So I've uh, been working with you now for a while on on a couple different things IoT-related, and figured you'd be a great guest to come on and talk about these things and where the industry is headed, kind of the trends that you're seeing, right? And uh, of course, where Cisco is playing. So I wanted to start with edge computing. And as you and I were discussing before, the pendulum has kind of been swinging back and forth right over over the past couple of decades, where yeah. we started with mainframes, moved over to personal computers, then moved back over to the cloud. And now we're in this kind of weird thing where we're looking at edge computing, where we're trying to bring that computing power back in a little bit more, but it's still on the edge. That's the name. Um, so let's kind of just dive into that a little bit and, and understand what edge computing is all about. And then, of course, uh, we can discuss Cisco's involvement in it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, this this it, it's a strange confluence as we watch things move back and forth. And I've been working in 
IoT, as I tell people, like long before we called it IoT, you know, we we're doing it was SCADA, HMI, integration, data storing. So we've always been moving data to some aspect. And edge seems like the natural progression as this, you can choose the word, but essentially a tsunami of information is coming out from devices. And I think part of the, part of the, the conflict that we have is that you don't a priori really know the data you want. You think you know the data you want. So if I have a process manufacturer and I want temperature or level or pressure, and these things make sense. Do I want the stops and starts for the pump? Do I want to, why would I want motor vibration? I mean, if I'm making a process, if I'm making beer, let's say, is it interesting to collect motor vibration as an example? And most beer manufacturers would say not particularly. It doesn't, the vibration, it doesn't affect the beer one way or the other. Right. But we recognize with IoT is that data could be really infor- really valuable later as an example for maybe predictive maintenance or performance-based right. maintenance and those sort of things. So we can see value in collecting information that's not even related to the process of the thing we're trying to do. And we don't know now necessarily the data we collect today that could be valuable later. So not to belabor too much on motor vibration, let's say you're not doing predictive maintenance. Maybe it doesn't even cross your mind to do it but it will later. And that information that you have during the decade of good operations or five years, whatever that period of time, is going to be the, the, the identifier of what is bad operations or to optimize your process. And it may not be predictive maintenance. It could be something we don't realize in terms of how something would be better. It may even turn out that maybe it wasn't motor vibration per se for predictive maintenance, but maybe it turns out that that gave us some indication, you know, the, the liquid in beer is called a wort. Maybe the Maybe the wort viscosity changes, and we're able to pick that up in some harmonic. I mean, who the heck knows, right? Right. So we have this wealth of information of both potential and actual today, and just sending it to the cloud. And I'm going to use cloud as a euphemism because it could be Azure or AWS, could be a local database. It really doesn't matter. There's two aspects. One is storing it all, and the one is like then transmitting it all. And that seems like a lot. So what we want to be able to do is at least kind of put the processing closer to the data to minimize the noise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and just get the data that I care about. And that gets into the value of making it easier to find what you want when eventually you want to be able to find it. And that's where I think where edge really comes in is distributing that compute to make the, the network more intelligent in this process of collecting information. Yeah. And, and you mentioned too, I mean, there's a lot of data sources. There's a lot of different data metrics, right? You could have, one system reporting temperature in Celsius, one uh, system reporting it in Fahrenheit, one in Kelvin, who knows, you know, <laughs> but yeah, all these different things coming in. And then how do you, how do you translate it to, to one simple, you know, easy to understand common language? And then on top of that, how do you correlate that? So you mentioned the, the viscosity of the wort versus the vibration levels of the motor, right? Yeah. How do you correlate those two things beyond just a, maybe a timestamp, right? How do you how do you put those two things together? How do you make the system smarter to be able to to warn you, hey, this is happening, therefore this is going to happen beyond just the the failure prediction, right? Oh yeah. How, how do you yeah, how does right. the product change? Well, you get you touch on a couple things. So one is this area of just data normalization. So temperature, Celsius, Fahrenheit, Kelvin, Rankine, because you didn't throw that one in. I felt like we were missing <laughs> another unit, right? Uh, and so. So just sending a number doesn't have any context. I need to send the number and the context, which is the units of measure. But that's not enough because I don't know what the range for that process is, right? So if I send you the value of 50 in Fahrenheit, that's not particularly interesting unless maybe I also send with it, here's the range that that value might go in. So 
that gets into the value of edge where maybe instead of sending values, I send a packet and the data self-identifies and self-describes itself. So then wherever I store it, it has natural context. So I see a value in Fahrenheit, where it fit within the range, and then by extraction, what would be normal, abnormal. I can include alarm limits as part of that value or other parameters related to the process. And I can only do that at the edge because the point is to make the data self-aware enough so that when it goes to its final destination, right, the cloud, it has context. So then when I start looking for things, I can start to do queries on data based upon where it is within a process as opposed to a number. So I don't have to say, show me all values less than 30. Maybe that's interesting. Show me all values that were 50% below their normal, right? And the data self-describes. And I can only do that by self-describing. That's one of the huge benefits I get through that edge capability of moving in data, right? Which I, I see is a, a key capability here. Nice. Yeah, and I know I know um because you and I have had these conversations before in the past and I've I've worked with other people on your team too. Um a few a few roles ago I worked in manufacturing and the there was always a lot of correlation of of data, right? You you, you they manufacture the product and they they test it and they certify it and they put a serial number on it, you know, and and, and how do you track all that information, right? So Tracking even something as simple as ambient temperature, right? When you're working with with metals or, or even more so with foods, right? Ambient temperature can have a drastic impact on, you know, the quality of the product or, you know, whatever, right? So trying to correlate that data. But then one thing that I think you touched on a little bit <clears throat> that I, I want to mention is the transport of that data, right? So if it is going to the edge or going to the cloud or going to a local data center, making sure that that data gets from the initial sensor, right, to the endpoint. Now, obviously Cisco lives there, right? We're that that's that's where we where you play, right? The interconnectivity of devices. So we we have something to do with networking. A lot, we have a right? little bit so. we've we've been doing it for a little while. Uh yeah. we're getting pretty good at it. <laughs> but one of the things that I found very interesting when I was researching this this a while ago when we were looking at um I forget what the name of the old the old system was, uh, Kinetic. Um, oh God! <laughs> the, was regarding transport and making sure that the network was responsible for making sure that the data got to its final resting point. And I experienced this firsthand when I was in manufacturing in the I, an IT role there because we had these uh, these PLCs, these programmable uh, programmable logic controllers that would at the end of a test uh, of a successful or, or failed test of a, of a particular you know item would quickly send up a blurb to an Excel spreadsheet that would go ahead and, and write the serial number, date and time, pass fail, who actually ran the test, you know, for tracking. But there was, it was literally a single packet that went up. And if that file was not available, if the server was offline, if the network path was interrupted, if the packet was dropped somewhere for some gone. strange reason, it was gone. It, it, that that gone, record right. was never recorded. And we actually had an instance where that server was offline for like a month. No one realized it because they'd only go in there once a month to run the reports. And none of the data in that last month had been collected. And that's 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 a big problem for manufacturing companies. That's why I won't say where it was. It can, well, it can be it, it can be even it depends on the manufacturer. So I I, I used to work a lot in pharmaceutical and mm -hmm. in biological sciences and all that. So not having that that uh, traceability of information might mean you dump a batch 
you know, yep. dumping a batch. So picture a product like even buy a lot, you know, like that's bad. I lose product. Uh, and pharma, it can be catastrophic. I mean, if you're, we're thinking in the middle of COVID right now, we're talking about vaccines. Vaccines are biologic. It can take 90 days to make a product in mm-hmm. some, some biological processes. So imagine the last three months of product uh, potentially being tossed away from a factory because you weren't able to collect some key performance indicators, key process data as part of that. Yeah, it, it, it would be big. Uh, when I worked in automotive, uh, one example I give is when we were making uh, battery packs for a large automotive maker, of the data we collected, as one example, uh, we had to put on a panel and there were about 20 odd screws that get bolted. And we collected the torque, torque angle, number of rotations, uh, number of uh, the angle and the total torque value on each and every screw as we put that in around the panel. And if any one of them were off, it had to go to rework or we couldn't send the product. You're getting down to not just the torque of the screw, but the angle that the technician was holding the torque gun at the time that they torqued it. That's Mm -hmm. the amount of data that you're trying to collect to deliver a product. And it's intense. And that's a lot of data to send to the cloud. That's a lot. It's a lot, right? It's a lot. And it's part of what you're saying. That's really where the value of edge gets in. But it also gets in the sort of the, the fundamental thing of like, how do I get the information to that destination? Cloud, database, MES, ERP, wherever it might be. How do I get that there in a way that's reliable? And, and that's actually one of the really great advents in the area of IoT is creating protocols that have this guaranteed quality of service to ensure data. So Kinetic, that was part of it. Cisco Edge Intelligence is part of it. Uh, other IoT technologies, that's part of it's there. But by the way, there's other data that I don't want that, right? Just to be clear, right? So just to be, as an example, you're absolutely right. If I'm collecting a process value, I want to collect that data and send it to the cloud. But if I'm writing down to a device, there's data that actually sometimes, that I want to age it, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, supposing I want to start a motor, right? Or stop a motor. I don't want guarantee arrival uh, on that necessarily in the same sense. Uh, so yes, I say, go ahead and start the motor. I wanted to send the command, but I want to age that out. So mostly I said, start. It didn't get down there. That's okay. You didn't know that. Five minutes later, you said, stop. A minute after that, you said, start. A minute later after that, you said, stop, start. It, you know, you see where I'm going. And then we get the connection. And what does the poor thing do? It starts, it stops, it starts, it stops. And you don't want that. You want it to do right. the last thing you told it to do. So there's intelligence required on both aspects of this that people don't always think about in the IoT world that you wouldn't have normally in the standard more enterprise network and connecting world. Interesting. Yeah, I, I that that's a uh, that's a good point. It's like a time to live, right? It's if only they did yeah. that with uh, with printing. <laughs> 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 because how many times has my mother clicked or my grandfather clicked on print 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 and it's. Uh, nothing's coming out. They just hit the button again. It'll work this time. And you go and look at the print queue and there's 57 documents, 57 copies of the same document in that queue that you have to clear out before the printer this, this gets This is my work from home it. world where, you know, my, my partner, like <laughs> the printer's not working. And I look and like, you hit print 10 times, you know, <laughs> just connect the Wi-Fi and now let's dump them. Yeah. No. So that time to live, which has real sense on an internet geek aspect, right? But if you're yeah. not a Cisco engineer, you're like, what? Time to what? How long do I get to live? TTL? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but it really is an issue. And we saw this early on with Kinetic where people are doing demonstrations where there were, and I remember somebody set one up and we had uh, indicator lights on a little demo panel and it was offline for five minutes and it came online and the lights were going crazy on, off, on, off, on, off because 
we had buffered the rights. So you don't want to necessarily right. do that. So it, it changes things. I mean, when we look at IoT, there's clearly value of data that I want to collect. Sometimes there's data I don't. I generally want to guarantee transmission or understand the nature of what I'm trying to send. And we talked about I need to get context to understand the context of that data. Normalize it. Uh, yep. Normalize it. And in fact, just, just to go geek for a moment, if I'm connecting pro- collecting process, like we haven't yet, right? If I'm collecting <laughs> process values, I also need to think about how I'm going to look at that data later. So I want to be smart about not sending redundant data, but I want to be smart about sending a little redundant data. Mm-hmm. And an example of that is, you know, imagine I'm measuring a temperature. I'll, I'll pick room for a moment, although that's not a great process example. Let's say the room temperature is just 50 degrees, very cold, and it's 50 degrees. And it's just 50 degrees all day long. And let's agree that it's silly to send 50 every second to the cloud. 50, mm-hmm. 50, 50, 50, because that seems phenomenally wasteful. Now, if, in the, if I'm in the market of selling cloud storage, I think this is a great strategy. You should absolutely send me 50 every second. <laughs> but outside of that, I don't want to do that, right? right? So 50, 50, 50. So let's say in my imaginary room that it's 50 from noon straight through to midnight. But at 11, 59, 59, just the moment before midnight, my magical room instantly goes to 100 goes to 100 degrees. So I'm going to send the 100. Now, room might not be, but I can think of processes where it, it has, has a step change in temperature. So I collect that. And so in my ideal world, I did the smart thing. I reduced the data. And so you'll have two values in the cloud. At noon, I have 50. And at midnight, I have 100. So Brian, I have a simple question for you. <laughs> what was the average, what was, what was the room temperature at 8 p.m.? And what was the average room temperature between midnight and noon? <laughs> Let's see. The temperature at 8 p.m. was 50. The average room temperature was, was 75. <laughs> oh, no, and we're averaging out. No. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know, it wasn't 75. Right. Exactly yeah. that. Right. Because 75, like I did mathematically, arithmetically, the average is 75. But in truth, the time weighted average is 50.000, whatever zero, zero, the, the yeah. decimal. Yeah, decimal point is. And that's another little flavor aspect of where IoT is different from other processes, where maybe when I send that 100, I have to be smart on the edge. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to put in another, I'm going to add another value so that this displays correctly in a chart. Maybe I'll, uh, uh, and maybe when I go to retrieve data, I understand it's a time weighted value. So I'm going to do a time weighted calculation. That's where IoT, where the, you know, we say the devil's in the details. It's not enough to just send the data. I need context about the process. And that's where, that's why I love this industry. Because it's the details that make it fun, right? No, that's that's really good. And and you know, to that end too, there's a couple different ways to do it. Like as, as you were talking about, I was thinking, you know, sending that that data only if there's a if there's a change, right? If there's a delta, if if it stays yeah. fifty and it's fifty the whole time, just just only ch- only send that new value when a value changes. But as you said, with data redundancy, there could be some some value there, and maybe like a heartbeat. Like, okay, it's it's still fifty, right? Every yeah. every five minutes, it's it's still fifty. Nothing's changed, you know. Something along those lines, just to make sure that that you know connection hasn't timed out or whatever. Especially when we're talking over the cloud, there's many many factors at, at play with making sure that you know it's it's a lot le- a lot less reliable to send that simple UDP packet up to Amazon than to yeah. send the same packet to a local data center, right? It's, there's, Ab- there's a lot absolutely. more to worry about. So it's, you know, there's, there's definitely different ways to do it. And it's, it's, it's cool that we're involved in, in making, making all those kind of different things come together. 
Yeah. And we have partners we work with who live in that, in that world. But even then, the concerns, like in the world of data historians, uh, like OSIsoft as an example, Aspen Tech, uh, Rock, you know, there, there are various different ones out there. Their focus was data reduction for the longest time and doing first order, second order data reduction methods. I would argue, as we've sort of talked about in cloud, data reduction is not a driving factor anymore. It's just, it just isn't because storage isn't the problem anymore. Uh, right. Finding the data is critical, right? Finding it's really critical. And so we want to have tools to help you do that. And, you know, I think you and I touched upon this earlier where, you know, the, the analogy is, you know, finding this needle in a haystack, right? And that's what we want to do. I want to find, it's not, it's not data, it's information I want. And what I said before, the challenge with IoT is what? It's not finding a needle in a haystack. It's finding a needle in a haystack when every day I'm adding another haystack. Or hundreds yeah. or thousands of the haystacks. haystacks are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's more and more of them. <laughs> yeah, and you're evil Knievel, and you're going to jump from a plane. And you want to try and land on the right haystack, so it's going to be a little bit tough, right? <laughs> Another yeah, date and myself, that's, right? That's yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of the challenge now. Is as, as you said, it's it's not about the data reduction, um, even even bandwidth, and, and we're gonna we're gonna swing over to five G in a minute, but even the bandwidth requirements aren't that stringent anymore. Right. Um, no. Most I was on a I was on a uh, an SEVT, an internal one for a data center, actually for service provider. And one of the guests that we had, we actually kind of did it like a podcast style like this. And one of the guests that was that was on was talking about how we generally, and this is not across the board because I'm sure there's a lot of people, and especially rural areas, that would not agree to this statement. But generally speaking, we have more than enough bandwidth for most consumers in this country. I have a one gig internet connection. It's very rare that I'm ever saturating it, but sometimes I right. do. But from a bandwidth standpoint, <clears throat> I'm pretty much, I'm okay. Like you and I were, were having this conversation. The audio is going over the cloud. We're also on video. We're, we're able to see each other and everything's kind of working together nicely. Yeah. You know, for the most part, we're okay on bandwidth. We're okay on, on storage. So people are, it is opening up the avenue for more and more people that, you know, developers to collect more and more information when they're developing something in, 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 you know, the IOT space going ahead and saying, you know what, I can, I can send all these metrics, right? I, I, it doesn't matter. We, we, we have enough bandwidth. We have enough storage. I can go ahead and send all these metrics and we'll let the system that is collecting it, figure out what to do with it. Right. And, and that's fine. Well, and in many cases, we were talking about this earlier in the retail space, Right. Um, we want to collect more and more information. We may not right. know what we need it for today, but most industries, most businesses are going to collect that information and then figure out what to do with it later, then vice versa. So it's cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, no, I mean, even video is probably on, on the largest end. I mean, I think the biggest thing on bandwidth, like I have a gig at home, you've got a gig, uh, but I was focusing on, on upload speed versus just download speed, right? And so right. I think what we've seen certainly with this, you know, I'm not going to say new normal, but as more people work from home and distributed environments, the need for up upload is going to be driving is going to be driving a little bit more than I think networks are prepared for. But on the IoT side, absolutely not. In fact, I was just talking with a customer earlier today, and on the manufacturing layer, right, something we call the Purdue model, where we break out where in the network layer do you put your devices. It's 500 bytes. I mean, it's not a lot of stuff on the low level manufacturing stuff, but it's fast. It's on right. milliseconds. We're sending a lot of stuff over at a high rate of speed, and some processes more. You know, Cisco 
on motion systems, we need time-sensitive networking. We need microsecond-level timestamping. Mm-hmm. So there's stuff that happens with a high rate of speed that I need to do. And so that's the only aspect on the control. But moving that data, right, it's not that much. Uh, the only interesting aspect is that to really, in my mind, to get the real value, we go back to adding context to data. And it means that I'm, I'm actually expanding the information, right? So the information comes in small, and now I'm adding blah, bulk to it, right? Because I want to give the range and units a measure and that sort of stuff. And I would have been concerned about this before. I used to care uh, way back when people talked about using XML and my inner geek would be like, but but that's not, you're not compressing it. That's I would think about all the bytes being used by XML uh, <laughs> versus a more compact way of sending data. I, I, I know, and I thought like, that's it just struck me as so inefficient. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and now... Yeah, you're right. We're fine. We can almost get kind of sloppy about it because we have the room to grow and expand that that, that connectivity. And it, but it's true. I mean, I, I'm working with a customer on serial connectivity, and they're sending stuff over hexadecimal, and it's all packed in with bit arrays and IEEE float and twos complement and all these funky, cool ways that they used to present data that we don't do anymore. Yeah. So given that we have bandwidth, it allows us the opportunity to send more information with context and take advantage of it as long as we can get it. And I think right. that's where you're touching on maybe with 5G is now I have all this information and I go back to like one of my first factories I visited at Cisco and it was this fully automated factory with all these controllers, PLCs and whatnot, and not a network cable to be found, not one. So they're all little islands of automation. And I think that's where we're at now is how can I start to bring, you know, how can I connect that factory? How can I connect those machines and not make, make them connected islands at, at the least? Yeah, let's let's swing over to that because, I mean, 5G uh, means a lot of things to a lot of people, right? Um, you know, you have the millimeter wave 5G, then you have the, the sub gigahertz 5G and all, all these different different things that are going on that 5G really just promises to be everything. And yeah. it's, it's funny because I, you know, when I was in college, I worked for Radio Shack and I sold cell phones and that was around the time 3G was becoming a big thing. Uh, we were going you remember from the edge, battery edge club? to 3G. I used to be, I used to be. <laughs> I remember that. Oh my God. I remember the battery club. Yeah. Oh, memories. But, um, but I mean, I remember when, when, when 3G was coming out and, and then of course with 4G LTE and, and all the marketing, all, all the marketing crap aside, okay, and I'm I'm not gonna get into this because it drives me up a wall when there's companies yeah. that come out and claim the new technology when they don't even have the hardware out and you know they don't have the antennas up there, but they're they call it this because it's faster. Well, I'm not gonna get into right, it. You're not talking about five G E on my on my phone, right? As an example. <sighs> so <laughs> It just kills me because they did it with 4G too. They 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 were like you know yeah. oh it's 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 back it's got a higher backbone so we're gonna call it 4G even though it's really 3G with you know a bigger a bigger fiber backbone it's it's, it's annoying but anyway yeah um, all of that aside let's get down to what 5G really is and maybe some of the the actual things that it can do and of course it's pairing with um, with Wi-Fi six. Yeah, I think that's really the key part. You know, it's funny, you're talking about 5G, and my mind flashed back on a commercial years ago. I think it was Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, and he's like, try, it's for a cell phone company, and he's like, 3G, and like, and he just gets a new 3G phone. Like, Wait, 4G. And he's like, 4G, I just got the 3G, and then the 5, and the, you know, it's going to like, go to 10G or something like that, right? So it's whatever the next G is, we're 
we're, we're, we're continuing going forward. But you're right. We have more. I have more and more customers asking about 5G and Wi-Fi 6. And to me, they're sort of two sides of the same coin, which is this options for connectivity. And on one level, everybody talks about bandwidth, like bandwidth, mm-hmm. bandwidth, bandwidth. And I don't see that as a drive. I mean, from a consumer level, it's a driving factor, right? Consumer factor, in theory, if I can monetize you streaming Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, whatever it is to your cell phone, you have it. And yet... Honestly, it goes. It's pretty fast right now. It's it's a consumer. It's definitely a consumer kind of focus. Much like back in the days of, of uh, (laughs) much of the days when people actually would buy their computers from a a brick and mortar store, where they would actually look at the processing speed. You know, oh, I want a a six (laughs) hundred and seventy megahertz versus this eight hundred megahertz. Right, like that was the big thing. You know, they would they would talk about how many how many megahertz or how many gigahertz the processors were. And that's that was what people focused on. They're like, well, I need the fastest processor because that means I get the fastest computer, right? Right. It, it's I think that's the the same kind of focus, right? The, the the consumers have the blinders on. They think I need more speed. I need more speed because TikTok doesn't load fast enough or whatever. Yeah, well, no, I mean like I've you know, I've got Wi-Fi six at the home with a one gig backbone, and I have a 15-year-old sometimes who goes like, our Wi-Fi sucks. I'm like, I don't know what more I can do for you right now. Like I'm giving you <laughs> my wife, my like, wife says the same thing, and it kills me. <laughs> Facebook is slow. Well then call Facebook. It's not the rest yeah, of the internet. Right. It's not us. It's like the server just isn't sending you the data as much. On an IoT level, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'll just separate for you know. When I talk to customers, often we'll start with the definition of like, what do I mean by IoT, like Internet of Things, right? And in the Cisco world, I typically put another I in there, which is industrial Internet of Things. So from mm-hmm. the Cisco world, I'm not talking about smart refrigerators and dishwashers and, and all the rest of it. But that's very much a part of the broader 5G landscape. And I think that's something to bear in mind is that where I typically focus on the industrial side of IoT. And that's something really big here on 5G and Wi-Fi 6. I also see this as value in the non-industrial side, where on a high level, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of potential with 5G, and I think where we're struggling right now is trying to find what's the winning business case. And I used to do some consulting with companies where you'd have a new technology, and the challenge wasn't, is this really cool? It's, where should we focus? We can't go everywhere. We have to be very specific on what's going to be the winning area to put our money into, uh, to try and be successful in, in that market. And, you know, I gave this analogy, my dad is a doctor and he talked about when the laser first came out in the sixties and he called the laser a cure looking for disease. Like they knew it would be this awesome thing for medicine, but what would it be? Right. Are we going to use it to cauterize or whatever? And the biggest one I see now is in laser surgery, eye surgery. Right. right. But there's other stuff as well. Right. But they wouldn't have predicted it. Was it not a great technology? It was, but you're trying to find what's the one where the return on investment is so high and where it does something that I can't do with anything else, right? right? I mean, that's part of it, right? Yes, I could cauterize, but I could cauterize with this thing as well. Yes, I could do that, but I could do that with this as well. And I think that's kind of the thing with 5G is what is it, what is it going to allow me to do that I can't do easily elsewhere, you know, because t- that I can't take an existing technology platform and extend. And the one that strikes me the most is that from an IoT perspective is its ubiquity of connectivity, and we go back to my little islands of, of stuff that's out there. And what's involved right now, speaking no bias as a Cisco engineer, with getting something online. And it's like, you need a network. Right. And I say this with great pride and, and, and affection. You know, 
whether it's industrial switching, routing, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, BLE. I need a network to connect my devices. I need policies and security. And that's all what we do to do it in a reliable way. And now, once you have that, then I can start to collect my data. And that's kind of, you know, to kind of use a term from journalism, kind of bearing the lead. You know, I'm like, here's this really exciting thing I want to be able to do. And I can't do it for the longest time until I get this whole infrastructure in place. And 5G kind of flips that on its head and says, actually, it's there. The, the, uh, the, uh, the air is essentially your network. And the idea that I could power on a device and it connects like that and I have connectivity, I'm able to bring it on immediately and have data with security because it's not part of my network, uh, with isolation, with intelligence, that's, that's really exciting. That changes in a really big way how we connect to devices, how we can grow and start to bring in uh, intelligence whether on the consumer side or the industrial side. Prior to that, IIoT and IoT were really two very separate worlds. They were right. completely different. So the idea of having a you know, smart refrigerator, I don't really want it to tell me that I shouldn't be having the ice cream right now. I, I don't need a refrigerator to tell me that. But from a home healthcare perspective, right, monitoring for people, uh, those sort of aspects, that's really, that can be fantastic, right? Yeah. As well as devices, auto-ordering and all the rest of it. And from an industrial side, to be able to, Say, I want to collect a process variable and have it connect through 5G. Uh, and then there's some other aspects, and I'll shut up for a minute, in terms of IoT devices, long range, power usage, and all the rest that is also really exciting, you know, right. how this all plays in. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. Like, <clears throat> the only thing I can't get over when it comes to 5G and IoT, right, is if I've got a bunch of IoT or IoT devices that are connected to 5G, every single one of those things I have to pay a subscription for. To, for it to connect to the to the internet, and that's yeah. that's the thing that for me I can't get over. Now, there may be many places and instances where that's okay, right? Companies have no problem. Some companies have no problem spending a lot in opex just to make it just to make it work and to simplify things. Or maybe it's some water pump station out in the middle of nowhere that you know rather than have to worry about using something like LoRa, which is an awesome technology, but again, requires an infrastructure to be set up by a network team, just using, you know, the cellular network, which is just another network team's uh, responsibility, but the infrastructure already exists. It's there. You don't have to worry about bandwidth. You don't have to worry about latency, which is all the things that 5G promises to be, right? Ultra low latency, ultra high bandwidth, stuff like that. Um, But the simplicity factor is there. And if we're looking at, again, a, a water pump station out in the middle of nowhere, just being able to have reliable connectivity without having to worry about infrastructure that has to be managed in house, then you know an extra ten it's, or fifteen bucks a month isn't isn't horrible. Well, I don't. I I'm going to take your extra ten or fifteen bucks a month, and I'm going to flip it on its head. I think uh, your. Oh, let me go the other way. Can you imagine somebody buying a server from Cisco and paying a regular fee to run that server, or buying a switch from Cisco and paying a regular fee to run that switch, and yet? I see you smiling on video. That's what we do, right? Uh, And we do it all the time. Uh, Microsoft Office, do you remember? You're old enough. The storm when they announced that you're just going to pay a regular fee to get it and not just download the CD and have it and run it for the next 10 years. I think we've conditioned people and ourselves to look at the value of an OPEX, an operational expense model versus CAPEX in a way that it's it's just part of how we do things. And in fact, we date ourselves because we think, oh my God, no, I should be able to buy something and 
it's mine and I own it. Uh, and I think what we see now from both companies, both on the, on the financial side, but even on the consumer side, is this acceptance of eat what you want as you grow, right? And so right. you move along in that process. And so uh, I would suggest that the pay-as-you-go model that you're – I have the same level of hesitancy. But I think that's our inner dinosaur brain, if you will, <laughs> kicking back at what we're used to. For another model where I would, you know, I would buy the floppy disk, you know, and I owned that software. Uh, and now we don't. I mean, take a look. PS5, someday I'll be able to buy one, you know, for my kids, right? You can't right now. <laughs> find uh, one. <laughs> find one. You know, you can't. It's like totally, only scalpers have them for like 1200 bucks on Amazon, right? So the yep. PS5 sells in two, two versions, right? A regular version and the digital version. Digital version is everything's in the cloud, right? right. Just you download it. You own the games when you own the games, right? I'm in the hotel, I'm doing Netflix, everything's streaming, right? I don't own anything. Somewhere, there's somebody with the buggy whip version of DVD players, right? And Blu-ray and all the rest of it. And you go to Best Buy and you see a Blu-ray and I'm like, who? <laughs> who would buy that? Like, why, why would you, right? But it was only so many years ago that I would have been like, how can you expect me to pay for something when I own it? And so I think it's just a matter of us getting comfortable with that that idea. Yeah. But we're able to do other things with Wi-Fi 6 and, and 5G that I can't do otherwise. So, for example, we talk about Laura at Cisco. We have a new product re uh, release called uh, Asset Vision where we have Laura, low-power, you know, long-range radio-based, and they're battery-operated. And I can't do battery-operated with standard Wi-Fi, and I can't do battery-operated with standard networking because – the batteries don't last that long. You know, mm -hmm. I need a little solar thing to charge it up. But I, I have technology now with 5G and Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6, where the device says, nope, I'm just going to wake up once a day, send you a signal, and I'm going to go back to sleep. And I can do that with LoRa, and now I get 5G and Wi-Fi 6. I have that same capability now to have intelligent devices. I'll only talk occasionally when spoken to, in addition to the bandwidth and all the rest. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I expect that to be part of it. Take a look at what we're doing with Meraki right now with our cameras. Uh, completely, there you go, holding one up, right? Yep. Completely flipped the whole, you know, video monitoring market on its head. And that was, there's a new industrial one I'm dying to get, right? Uh, so you can imagine, yes, we're having network, but if that camera, if I powered it up and it immediately connects to the existing 5G network or Wi-Fi 6 network, and now I'm not caring about battery, but I care about bandwidth. Right. Another huge benefit there. Yeah. Last, our last episode was on the Meraki um, physical security. And we covered mm -hmm. the Meraki sensors, which I have here. Uh, I got since I finally got them in since our since we recorded that, and also the cameras. And um, I don't know have, have you have you seen um, have you seen these sensors? You, you know a lot about them. I know I definitely know about them. I haven't a chance to play with one. I keep asking. I, I have a Meraki <laughs> indoor camera that I mount on my garage outside. I'm in New England, and yeah. I'm not saying this is my recommended archi architecture, but it works <laughs> fine. It doesn't care two New England winners, and it's still pumping right through. You know, yeah, it so. works. <laughs> but it the works. Um, the, the Meraki sensors, uh, they run on a pair of or a single AA battery, and they're supposed to last for about five years. Yeah. And it's because they're using BLE, which, you know, super, super low energy. That's that's what it stands for, right? Yeah. Um, but we talked about this in that episode uh, where, you know, kind of switching over to that, um, switching over to that OPEX model, it's it gives incentive to the companies that are selling these products to continue to patch them, secure them, keep them up to date. If you're paying them 
a monthly or annual subscription to use this device versus just if I bought it and it was mine. The company doesn't have any incentive to continue to to maintain that product at all. No, the only incentive they had before was selling support contracts, which we used to do before. So for 18 right. to 20% of what you paid, I'll give you a support contract. And you spend all your time trying to convince the, the company on the value of the support. And they're like, and you'd always come back and they're like, well, if your product's any good, why am I paying for support, right? Because you know, should, <laughs> there should never be a bug. Right? I've in, never in heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> it never happens, right? It never happens at all, right? Uh, so you, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and in fact, I talk to customers when I talk about IoT, one, uh, particularly when they're makers, when they make things. It's asking, you know, what are you doing in terms of a services model for your product? You're making freezers, or refrigerators, or pumps, or controllers. Where are you in the X as a service model? And I'd say about at least half are like, that's absolutely a key area of focus for us. Everybody's trying to find where they can get additional revenue, but it's really more, where can I add additional value, you know, as well as the intelligence. And you look at Cisco with our ZDT, zero downtime with FANUC that years ago, where FANUC is able to get the data from the robots and basically call the factory and say, hey, we need to do maintenance on it. We know that the robot needs work. Right. It's a huge win for the for the manufacturer, right? Because they have maximum uptime, and for Fanuc because it's a whole new service offering that they have. And I think that same thing. So that same aspect where now, if I have that connectivity, I can provide the service model and open up new areas for not just revenue but support and actually help people. God, we're helping the world to be a better place this way. Yep, that's that's a tagline, <laughs> right? <clears throat> there, you, there, there it is, right? It's part of our, how can we make the world a better place? And it's by a recurring revenue model. So, yep. Very cool stuff. That, I never did I, marketing, I do. though. That's, that's why they don't hire me for Marcom. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in marketing either. I, I, just, yeah. you know, I, just, I just have the gift of gab. Um, yeah. So moving on a little bit to, uh, we've been talking about uh, connectivity, uh, the edge computing. We've been talking about IoT devices. Um, one big thing, and we just kind of touched on this a little bit, is IoT security. You know, with with a focus on security that I have, IoT devices like uh, HVAC controllers, sensors, pumps, all these different things that reside on the network, right? Where this is where five G is probably one of those things that can offset that, right? That's one way to say, yeah, yeah. there's security. We'll put it on someone else's network, um, which introduces data privacy things. But that's a whole other point. Yes, yeah. Um, an important one, but that's a whole other story. But when it comes to IoT security, when you have a bunch of devices on your network from different manufacturers talking to different services, maybe some inside, maybe some outside, some of them getting updates automatically, some of them have to be pushed manually, some of them just aren't getting updated at all. Um, actually, the manufacturing position I was in before, we actually had an old, and this was, God, when did I leave there? I left there in like 2013. Yeah. So they, and I think they still have this machine if it's still running. It was an old Dell Optiplex G1 running oh Windows NT. I love and it. it. Had, oh my god! It That's had great. an old style whatever the whatever the the the, the pin um, interface was called before PCI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it had one of those cards in it, and that's why this thing was running because that card interfaced with another piece of equipment that they used for testing these various products, and the thing was on the network. Wow! And it was like. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, don't, we no, don't plug network, that quick. Yeah, network security, 
it's vitally important. I mean, we say this, of course. What what amazes me sometimes is the number of customers I'll meet where the response is not right now. It's not a key focus of ours. Uh, we know it's important. We don't think, you know, we'll, essentially we'll deal with it when it happens, right. which is a strange sort of short-sightedness. And I think it, it, it comes to an idea of not recognizing the aspect of where you're manufacturing IT, where it fits within your organization and the cost to the company if it's down, right? You know, if you look, if you're a company and you make something, the whole company, everything, HR, IT, marketing, they all exist to support the factory. It's not the other way around, right? The factory is there. They're the only reason they're there to make it. And if the factory goes down, then of course nothing runs. And being able to secure that and have visibility to it is probably the single greatest both hindrance and opportunity for us in the IoT world to be able to put this in. And we've been doing it for a long time. And it's interesting how the markets have responded. Uh, and I'll give you an example. When I talk, when, when I used to work more in life sciences and the pharmaceutical side, way back when, I mean, they were sort of the first to really, where they saw the benefit of networking and having you know, computers control systems in terms of reliability and collecting data for regulatory requirements and so forth. And they air-gapped. Right, because they right. saw the risk and the potential for it, and it's oh, from the earliest years, it's one of the most secure environments that ever trying to connect into next to a nuclear facility, where that was like, you know, I wrote a printer <laughs> air, driver air gapped um, with a concrete wall. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, just as an aside, one of the fun projects I worked on was writing a Linux-based print server that only worked on UDP, so no TCP allowed, and the port it was a fiber cable to the system and it only had an output. There was no in allowed. So it was UDP by design, right? And there was no way to actually send anything back, which for those who care meant there was no way to tell that the packet that it sent was received correctly. Right. right. Uh, that was for the non-safety stuff. That was for the stuff they did not care about for security. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was so, on machines that they actually allowed to print. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That 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 was on that level. So that gives. So on that level, that that's a whole other sort of world, right? But if I get into on so on the pharma side, but now they're not. They can't air gap anymore. Right. One air gapping isn't really safety, right? So that that was that was just a Maginot line. Yeah, your air gap till the technician came with a little USB stick and they plugged it into the PLC. And they do that all the time. You, you have to. That's how you operate the machines. There's a program, an upload, I have to do a fix, or I have to do something like that. They plug in the, in the PLC. The PLC now harbors malware and can either wreak havoc across the factory side or sometimes jump across the firewall and go into the, the IT side. I've got one for you. I, yeah. I, I saw this, I saw this uh, proof of concept that they did. I think MIT did it, where they were able to extract information off of an air-gapped PC. And the way they did it was, as you said, they brought in a thumb drive and they, they infected the machine with malware. The malware took control of the hard drive activity light and it would blink it at a very fast rate, which ended up being like a ridiculously low baud rate. But there uh -huh. would be something on the outsi outside that they could peer in through a window and they'd be able to see that, that hard drive activity light. And basically using you know Morse code or whatever... They were able to use that LED to transmit that data. Again, very low baud rate, very high error rate, but they were able to use that, flash that LED enough to actually transmit data from that machine, even though it was air-gapped. Oh, I totally believe it. I mean, if you go, I can't remember where I read it, but uh, I was reading the designs of one of the earlier uh, bugs that were used were lasers on windows. So I put a laser across the window, I pick up the vibrations of the window, which is just a microphone, and yep. I could 
read the conversation in the room, right? I mean, there's a number of crazy things. Uh, uh, the book Cryptonomicon, which I read many, many years ago, talked about something called Van Eck Freaking, where I could pick up the radio frequencies from your keyboard to tell what you were typing. You yep. know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> or the processor. Yeah, I've I've seen them all. It's it is crazy. It's crazy. So that's so the challenge is most companies are like, well, yeah, but we're not. You know, this, I'm not worried about the CIA, right? They're not worried right. about that. So let me bring it more down to earth, right? Uh, supposing you're just your crime is you're an international business. That's all you do, right? You make a product. Maybe you're a shipping company. Maybe you're a packaging company. Maybe you're a pharmaceutical company. And let's just say, for sake of argument, see where I'm going here. You have an office in the Ukraine where you make part of your product. No big yep. deal. It's fine. It's secured. You firewalled. You did all the things you need to do. But on a regular basis, you do need to report taxes to the government of the Ukraine. Yep. No surprise. Do you know where I'm going? I right? know exactly where you're going. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm going, right? So guess mm-hmm. what? So that's the that that's the genesis of the not petcha malware attack. Yep. And I'll pick on Merck because this is public. I'm not giving any Cisco secrets away. Uh, in two hours, it was over for Merck. Two hours the yeah. attack. Their crime was doing business in Ukraine. And I put crime in rabbit ear quotes, right? Uh, right? Two hours it was done. Estimated losses in the range of $1.2 billion with a little pinky curled up here, right? Uh, <laughs> and I based that off of Merck's, att- Merck's various uh, uh, legal actions to get recovery from their, their, their insurance companies for the damage that was done. One of their vaccines uh, that they made, they couldn't produce the vaccine. And they had to reach into the U.S. Strategic Reserve, that's for Gardasil, to be able to provide the Gardasil vaccine because they couldn't manufacture it. And imagine if there were other drugs that were life-saving that couldn't have been produced. Right. So the risk, the risk uh, is absolutely paramount. And I don't think 5G changes that immensely. Okay. 5G does in the sense that if it's a one-way pipe only, that's fine. Uh, one, I don't fully trust. I think if there's a pipe, there are people who can hack pipes if they really mm-hmm. want to. Uh, and two, it's still data and it's intellectual property and all the rest of it. And the third is that there's some things I require two-way communication. And so that's not always going to be, I can do 5G, but I'm going to require a pipe coming back down in. So we need to right. be able to secure that network. And to, and on the IoT level, it's a little more challenging because it's not enough just to say, well, I'm just going to firewall it out. I need to know what people are doing. I need to actually understand the nature of those industrial languages and protocols, which is a whole podcast in itself to know what people are doing, to understand, is that normal? So Brian, you logged in, but it was two in the morning, which is maybe normal or abnormal, but you wrote to a variable that you shouldn't be writing to on the machine, and you changed the speed, you changed the temperature, you did something. And so that's where I see the the biggest opportunity in IoT security is not just firewalling security, but actually getting heuristics to understand the nature of what's going on to identify anomalous behavior. Yep. Yeah. And, I, and, and those are all good things. I mean, at the end of the day, most, most companies, maybe not, maybe not most, but some companies are going to look at IOT security and they're going to think, well, you know, Nat is going to save us because we can't, we're not allowing anything coming in. Right. And we're, we're, we're fine. But, you know, as you talked, as you mentioned with the not petty attack, that was a supply chain attack. Even if we're talking something with 5g, something as simple as a DNS hijacking could, 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 oh, you know, completely reroute and that's not even touching your infrastructure right yeah especially if it's on 5g you're talking someone else's dns server that that has been hijacked and now i'm redirecting traffic to me and all my data is either going there or i'm grabbing an update from 
from a, a non-reputable source if we're not signing things. So, you know, yeah, understanding but, but the security the, of the products yeah. that you're putting in place as well is just as important. You need to, and the challenges on the IoT aspect is it's not all your equipment. You'll have in right. the manufacturing world, what may I call them skids. You're going to bring in systems, controllers, machines that are built by third party as part of your process. Mm -hmm. It's a stamping machine. It's a filtration device. It's other stuff that you're going to buy and integrate those into your factory. So now you have to vet the security of all of that, where it fits in. Uh, USB, as a, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, this, you know, all the old ports and the PCs and all the rest <laughs> and how USB-A, it's popular. And USB-A or USB-C doesn't really matter. Uh, it's ubiquitous in the industrial world. That is yeah. how we do a lot of maintenance and controls on devices. And we need to understand the idea that the laptop that was in a Starbucks or a bowling alley and then the USB where the technician downloads the latest firmware to go onto that PLC that introduces a risk. And I know one uh, pharma vendor a couple of years ago, uh, huge damages on a cybersecurity incident. And the best that they could do to secure it at the time, they felt, was they built little uh, kind of USB hand washing stations throughout the factory. And the idea is, you know, insert USB here for to, to clean it, you know, ostensibly from, you know, next use. And that's what they thought would be their best, their best approach to try and secure the, the plant. Wow. USB so, hand washing stations. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's actually once again with COVID, it seems almost perfect. Every elevator I'll just does. put in the USB, you know. <laughs> Shines just a little blue light on, ultraviolet yeah, light on it, yeah. and uh, sterilizes yeah. it. <laughs> but but I don't want to over rotate on, on security, right? I mean, so it, it's a huge concern. But like anything else, the benefits so far outweigh the risks that you want to provide this connectivity. You just want to be smart about it. You know, right. in my mind, it's like traffic deaths are bad, wear your seatbelt, get an airbag, follow the rules. But I wouldn't say don't drive a car. There's too many benefits of having a vehicle uh, in terms of what it provides. You know. That's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah, yeah there's. I, I like to call it um, a, reason, a reasonable level of, of redundancy right? you know, when we're talking redundant stuff. But it, you, it's the same thing with security, right? There has to be, you can go crazy with 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 stuff uh and in some cases you may need to right if, if you're in a high risk facility or a high value facility like a nuclear power plant or a pharmaceutical company yeah you need to take those few extra steps and really look at all the different avenues and points of entry and stuff like that there is no silver bullet right and and i say that all yeah. the time i've said it on the podcast i've said it to my customers when it comes to security there is not one thing that can do it we cover a lot of different avenues we cover a lot of different you know, points of entry and stuff like that, but there's still going to be things that are maybe even outside of your control or our control, right? Again, it's the uh, the example we gave of DNS hijacking on a on a device that's connected yeah. over five G. Nothing you you're can not do even about talking that, right? to our network, right? You're not you're not yeah. even talking to our network. You're relying on someone else's stuff. You know, that's the thing with the cloud, right? It's it's not the really the cloud; it's someone else's computer. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's it's critically important. I mean, I love the conversation. I want to be careful. I mean, you know, I used to joke, I don't invite security people to customers. They're like the buzzkill at the party, you know, they're, you know, because the real security guy is like, don't connect anything, you know, because there's no safety in this world whatsoever. You know, you'll never be safe. And I'm like, shh, it's okay. We're all you know? screwed. We're all going to die all anyway. Screwed. We're all going to die anyway. Right? So they are, they can be the total, like, I know one guy, he's great, but bringing a customer and it's just like, it's just doom and death. You know, like there's nothing. <laughs> it's I'll out. get like, that name know, off the air. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I think I think I have an idea. I know who it is. <laughs> I think yeah, you probably guess if you go through it a little bit, right? But 
but we want to be smart about it. And th- that's the, that's the gist, right? And what I want to make sure when I talk to customers is that they acknowledge the potential upside. I think most of them do, uh, yep. from a, from a boardroom level, they see the value of IOT. And as long as you recognize that security is just part of the fabric that we have, then we can put it in. And, you know, you know, you know I'm a fan of what I call a castle defense, right? Don't buy the biggest moat or the best drawbridge or the best archers. It's, Everything you put together to make that castle, to make that defense is what's going to work. You know, right. saying, I have the best firewall. That's great. Love it. Happy for you. Keep going. Uh, you know, remember, we used to talk about antivirus way back when. I think antivirus is kind of cute. It's important. Uh, but by itself, it does nothing, right? I need the yeah. rest of all this stuff to come together. So, you know, let's invest in big castles and we'll be, and we'll be good. Exactly. Nice. Spread, spread, the, uh, spread the planning around. Spread the wealth. Awesome. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Steve, this has been an awesome conversation. And even I, I wish that we had still had uh, recorded parts of the 45 minutes of conversation we had before <laughs> this, but um, it was, uh, it was good. Maybe, maybe someday we'll swing back to that, uh, that topic. You'd have but, to edit um, it out too much. There'd be too many bleeps, you know, and that would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Oh, well, Steve, is there anything you wanted to add uh, to, to wrap this up or? No, I mean, I, let's have another 20-minute talk, right? I, I, <laughs> I, I, think, I think, you know, IoT, what strikes me is it's an interesting term that I used to laugh at, to be, to be blunt, right? Because it, it, 20 years ago, we were doing IoT, right? We were connecting to PLCs and SCADA systems and all the rest, even with token ring. I mean, we were doing connectivity devices. Right. And, I, and IoT is more than just kind of a new budget line uh, on the corporate balance sheet, I think what IoT really recognizes is the ubiquity of data, the volume of data, and the different forms of data. And that, that to me is like the internet. It's, it's a huge opportunity, and it's a mess. And that's why we have this sort of this new term. You know, remember, Cisco used to talk about IOE, Internet of Everything, and that just never really took off. You know, right. T was sort of the thing versus E, right? But I'll go to some uh, factories, for example, industrial places, and I'll get that grizzled old engineer who's been doing this stuff for 30 years. You know, they kind of growl in IoT and, you know. <laughs> but, when you, but when you present, here's the, here's the challenges that you have, right? We understand. You want to get data. You want to be able to operate your factory more efficiently. You want to improve the efficiency of what you're making. You want visibility to that uh, so that you, what you're going to do, you can do better and that you can do more fun, productive things than sitting here, so to speak, with a clipboard collecting data. That's the huge win. And the other is, ultimately, is collecting data is a good thing, right? Uh, 20-something years ago, customers were like trying to decide which data should we collect because I, you know, I don't want to pay for an historian more than I need to. And which one do I want? And right. the general argument is collect as much as you can within within some kind of reason and you'll find you more often than not you find value in that data both now and, and as you look back into it yeah but just having something in place to correlate that data and parse it and go through it and stuff like that that's that's huge because as you said just data without any context is is worthless right if i just have a bunch of right. 50s and i don't know where they came from what they mean what what you know 50 what 50 coins 50 degrees what and i have no timestamp no point of reference then then it's useless to me but yeah, context I, I th- and 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 a way to correlate the data and put it in a in a way that's easy to understand and view and look up and stuff like that that's why it's fun to be an architect right which is you know there's like let's not sh- i don't want to have you look on a landscape of of of, of haystacks 
and say, mm-hmm. look, look upon, look upon my works, ye mighty in despair, right? That's not the goal <laughs> here necessarily. It's look at what we're able to get out of this information. And, you know, the other thing I'll throw in real quick for IOT projects, where do you start? Right. Because that's the thing. So people are kind of saying, where do I start? How do I go? And that one's actually some way simpler, but sometimes complicated. Uh, it's, it's money, right? Try and find where you see the greatest value for money and the fastest you can do it. And that's my only other real takeaway on IoT. Speed wins. P- flat out. Quality, quantity, robustness, architecture. Those are, qu- those are cute. That's really good. Right. Speed. <laughs> speed. Speed wins. Right. The first, first man over the line. First project to get data out there where there's something of value, that's the most important. When you just start a project, what can I do quickly to immediately return value, to immediately show the value, to immediately springboard off of that into the next one? Don't try and build you know, this great architecture and so forth. And I'm reminded years ago, I was with another company and we had one of these Myers-Briggs assessments sort of thing, like a couple day training sort of thing. And there was this uh, challenge they had. I think they gave us all like tinker toys and you had a, the challenge was build the tallest tower something like that. And so we we did whatever competition and the trainer shared with us that like the week prior, he had all the the leadership team, all the managers do this separately because they had their meeting first and the engineers on our, on our company, they built this, the the Tinker toys could have been the tallest tower because they built the best base. It was a really robust, solid base that would support this really tall tower. The tower itself wasn't very tall tower itself was pretty short, but it could have been the tallest tower eventually. And they lost, right? <laughs> and they lost because they didn't build the tallest tower. They didn't, they weren't the first to cross the line. They didn't create, you know, the best value back for the product. And we make this mistake of focusing on the base. Let's build the best foundation of which we can start to grow. And I don't want people to hear me wrong. Like, I'm not saying foundations don't matter. What I'm saying is you lose track of what you need to do to be successful. Because guess which of those two projects got funded? The tallest one, not the best base. And that's kind of sort of my lesson in life that I took forward from my Myers-Briggs. Wise words. I like that one. And I think think with that one, we'll we'll close it up. So be sure to go out and build your tallest tower. (laughs) I love it. Don't focus focus on the base. Go out and build your tallest tower. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Total, total by accident on that one. So that's great. That's, all right. Well, thanks so much. This has been a, a, a true joy, and uh, uh, I look forward to you editing and removing all the pauses. So that <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that many. Thank you, Steve, for coming on the show. Really appreciate you being on with us, and uh, have a good one. And, and hope you get out of quarantine soon. <laughs> Me too. Thanks so much. Take care. I can't say I really have anything more to add to that. I uh, just want to say again, thank you for listening, as always, to uh, Confetti with URSE. Uh, Happy New Year. hope uh, 2021 is a better year for everyone and that you guys are all staying safe out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, with that, we'll wrap this one up. So thank you again for listening to Confetti with URSE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at confetti.show. And if you like the show, please rate and review. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get notified when we publish a new episode. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config. <laughs>